You know what they say, third time's a charm, chum. Three is a magic number. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Third Time's a Charm, the show that takes an in-depth look at the third installment of a franchise. This is episode 28, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I'm your host, Mike the Warlock. And welcome to a very big episode of Third Time's a Charm. So big that I'm just going to intro the guest and jump right into it. Joining me today is my unofficial co-host, Brian Late Night Rodriguez, but also I have a very special Harry Potter consultant here today. To help guide me through the wizarding world, all the way from Australia, Shawnee Mead will be joining us today to answer the many, many questions I had while watching this crazy movie. So let's just get right into it without any further ado. Grab your broomstick, get your book of spells, and that cool magical map, because we're about to escape from Azkaban. Welcome to Third Time's Charm. We are back. It is November. Uh, school's in session, and we're taking a little trip to Hogwarts this episode. I've got two guests today. Uh, first off, I want to introduce my unofficial co-host. He's back. Of course he is. Welcome, Brian Rodriguez. Hello. Welcome, Brian. Thank you for having me, as always. It's This has been a second home for me, or a third home for me, I guess. How are you doing? Do you have your broom? Are you, are you a seeker? I mean, I have so many questions for our next guest about this universe, but just in general, Brian, you got your, your cloak, your book of spells, you ready to go tonight? I think so, I think so. Also joining us tonight, I've poached one of Brian's guests. I've been wanting to have this person on for a while, this seems very appropriate. You might have heard her if you've listened to High School Slumber Party, I believe she was on the Teen Witch episode, is that correct? Yes, yes I was. And we're sort of keeping in theme with that. She's going to be my Harry Potter consultant this evening <laughs> and all things witches and wizards. Uh, welcome to the show all the way from the magical land of Australia, Shawnee Mead. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us tonight. I just got to ask right off the bat, have you heard this show before? Are you familiar with this show? Um, I sort of am, but I haven't listened to one for a bit, so um, might just need a bit of reminding of what happens? Yeah, we generally just talk about the third film in a movie franchise, this being right. Harry Potter 3. Yes, this is a good one. It was always my favorite book. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. Good. I have, I have book questions as well. Not to not to put words in your mouth, Shani, but I'm sure you've been avoiding the last couple episodes as, while you're a fan of the Halloween film, you are not a fan of the gory horror film. Yeah, no, I'm definitely not. I'm more a family-friendly kind of Halloween movie. Like, I've been watching the Halloween Town films lately, so I guess that shows you what level of Halloween I'm, I'm prepared for. But yeah, no, no yucky anything. But. You know, Third Time's a Charm is back in the family-friendly venue today, so... That's perfectly fine, too. I'm all down with Casper. You know, I go to, from there all the way up to the Living Dead, so... <laughs> well, it's, it's all about the levels of levels of Halloween. Exactly, yeah. So if you don't mind maybe informing my listeners, since you're a first-time guest, uh, can you briefly talk about how you discovered the Cage Club Podcast Network? That was so long ago. Um, I think it was... What was the first podcast I listened to? Oh, it was the Keanu Reeves one, because I think I'd just watched Speed, and then I was looking through iTunes, trying to find 
some podcasts on it and then I stumbled across your podcast and then kind of opened the gateway to the Cage Club Network from there and I've listened <laughs> to a whole lot of stuff since then and yeah I've been on the high school slumber party a couple of times so um yeah, now I'm, I'm breaking through to another podcast in the Cage uh, Club stable, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I really appreciate you getting up early over there because you are in Australia right now and it is several yes, hours ahead of us, right? I'm so... doing a bit of time turner magic right now just to, just to be here with you. Hmm. <laughs> Let's get into a little bit of our histories and general knowledge, I guess, of this series. Um, I'll start because I feel like it might be the I might be the least familiar with this series. Maybe maybe and Brian might be neck and neck, but for someone who loves franchises and all that, like I am not really up on Harry Potter. I'm not, you know, against it. I really like what I saw, but uh, I never read the books. I haven't seen all the movies. The only one I saw in theaters is Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and I enjoyed that, but. I've seen the first three now, and I think I've seen most of the next one, if that's the one with the Goblet of Fire. Is that the next one? Yes, that's the next one. Okay, so I, and I've seen most of that and bits of the rest. So that's about um, the extent of my knowledge with this franchise so far. I really like that first one, actually. I think that's a great, well-rounded children's film. It's pretty macabre like it's an introductory horror kind of thing I feel like or not horror but like scary film or getting kids to know what goth is and that, <laughs> kind, of, that kind of stuff it's a gateway film to witches and wizards and all that other stuff that comes along with it Brian how about yourself what's your history with the franchise well I, I'm not a big Harry Potter fan I'm not that when people say that they like oh I'm not a fan of that I don't mean like that it just wasn't something I was really like down with I didn't read the books I've seen the first movie, the second movie, the third movie, obviously, and, like, the last three. Yeah, I mean... There's eight, so you're just missing one of them. Yeah, I think, ironically, I'm missing a very ironic one, but we'll get to that later. Something about Harry Potter, though, is, like, I feel like everyone I know is into Harry Potter, so just by osmosis, I've learned so much about the Potter universe. Or the Potter... I don't know what it's called. And sadly... I am a Gryffindor, and I never wanted to be a Gryffindor, because, like, you could take the Pottermore quiz online and find out what house you'd be in. Oh, I have to do that. You should have, and unfortunately, I say unfortunately, I think a lot of people want to be Gryffindor, but I don't know, it's so, like, mainstream. I didn't want to be Harry, I thought I'd be something cool. Gryffindor are the heroes, so I, I guess that's cool. And last time I was in London, I didn't do, well, I'm, I'm sure, Shani, you can talk about that, but I didn't do the big the big studio tour, but I did go to the station. I don't remember what the station is called, but it's like platform something, something and a half. Platform nine and three quarters. Yes. At that's King's what it Cross is. Station, London. Yes. <laughs> I went there. I took a cool picture there and I went to the Harry Potter store there. And my favorite character has not appeared yet, I don't believe, is Luna Lovegood. Okay. I'm not sure who that is, but <laughs> that's a cool name. You will learn. She's my favorite character. That She's my spirit. Uh, which Luna's pretty cool. She's a spirit animal. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't take my my house test. There's four houses at Hogwarts, right? I know Slytherin. I know Hufflepuff. I know uh, Gryffindor. What's the fourth one? The fourth one is Ravenclaw. Ooh, that sounds like the one I want to join. They sound pretty cool. 
they sound like they're not quite Slytherin, not quite the other two. Like they're somewhere, you know, in the middle or something. What house are you, Shawnee? Well, I self-identify as a Gryffindor, but <laughs> when I was sorted on the Pottermore quiz, it was a while ago, they've updated the quiz, so I haven't done it for a bit. But I was a Hufflepuff, unfortunately, which I didn't really want to be. <laughs> I didn't really want to be a Hufflepuff. Aren't they like the dorks? Well, they're kind of like, I think more because there was never really, apart from one in the next film, but there's never really a main Hufflepuff character. So it's kind of like, they're just like, meh. <laughs> they're kind of like the, the dicky house, I guess. So no one wants to be a Hufflepuff. Shawnee, can you go into your history with the franchise? I have kind of a long history with Harry Potter. And I think the first book came out when I was seven. So I didn't read that then. I think my mom had been looking for a new book series for me and then someone recommended them. So I think I was about 10 when I read the first Harry Potter book, which I was always very upset because I wasn't 11 and I couldn't get my Hogwarts letter. So by the time I read them, the first two were out. So I read them and then the third one came out very quickly. And then the minute the film started coming out, it was sort of the perfect time because I was always the same age as the actors. Oh, that's cool. So, you know, I always felt more of a connection with with the main three because we're the same age so my love of harry potter has just stemmed from then and when all the films would come out i'd go straight away and then i'd queue up and get the books straight away and yeah so um i'm all about harry potter <laughs> you and i are both gonna be joining brian you know in a little while on one of his episodes and talking about yes another harry potter movie when they finally get to high school but briefly talk about a little bit this trip that you just took well, it's been about four weeks now i think but i um have recently been to london and ireland and because i'm such a mad harry potter fan i have to go to harry potter stuff all over the place i mean i've been to the harry potter world at orlando florida that's really cool if you ever get that way that is very fun but yeah i've been to the harry potter studio tour in london before but I had to go again because there might be something different. And there was something different. Um, I've also been to Platform 9 and 3 quarters a couple of times. Um, and also on this trip, I visited the exhibition that's run by the uh, graphic designers because I'm a graphic designer myself. So I am, I've always loved all the um, graphic design in the Harry Potter universe. But I went to the exhibition of the graphic designers and that was that was really awesome. That's excellent. Like, you know, it's yeah. funny because I feel like this, uh, it reminds me a little bit now, like when Star Wars Galaxy's Edge just opened in America. And it's like, man, I feel like that hit for me like 10 years too late. Like if I was 30 and that opened, like I would have had advanced tickets and like all that kind of thing. But but uh, Joey and I, we're going to start doing an Elvis podcast. So maybe at the conclusion of that, we might be going to Graceland. But I love these sort of fan trips to places. I want to try and plan some kind of field trip revolving around this show somehow but joe and joe too also went to the fast and furious theme park exhibition down in florida and stuff so it's like great how uh you know all these theme parks and all these like places to go if you're huge fans of these franchises exist and stuff so that's great i'm glad you got to go back yes me too i've pretty much gone to all the harry potter places now i just need to go to scotland because you can uh, get the harry potter train so um that'll be my last thing because um obviously jk rowling wrote a lot of it in scotland so there's a few cafes and things that she'd often ride in so apparently that's you know the next place of harry potter fans to go so um well, I think we should get into Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I know I have a lot of questions. Oh, wait, real quick. I actually forgot. I want to ask Brian, would you travel anywhere to visit a movie location? Is there anywhere you'd like to go? Oh, absolutely. I mean, specifically, I can't really, like, think of one off the top of my head. Yeah, like, is there something from, like, a Hoffman movie that you need to, like... <laughs> yeah. 
They're definitely like famous high schools in movies, you know, like Beverly Hills High School. And but I don't know if I want to be like creeping around a high school, you know. No, but I've been to I've been to some Game of Thrones stuff when I've been in Europe. You know, I, I'm not against seeing things like that. But you know, like you live in New York, you see so much of it from so many familiar things in it. You live in a set. You live in like a movie <laughs> set. So pretty much sometimes. So I do enjoy that. Excellent. All right, so let's get into Prisoner of Azkaban here. And I got to say right off the bat, like, it's not because I haven't seen a lot of these movies, but I, I have questions lingering from even the first Harry Potter movie that I saw. So let's start here where we open up with him at his, in his room doing magic. My first question, Shawnee, if you don't, if you don't mind playing the consultant here tonight and, and answering some questions. Oh, that's, that's totally fine. I'm happy to do that. Who is Harry Potter living with? Like, I know one of these people are either his mom or his dad's brother or sister, but what's going on? What's the relationship here with him and these adults? Can you please explain? Um, yes. Um, it's not a very good relationship, but um, he lives with Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon and his awful cousin Dudley. But he's related to, well, the aunt was his mother's sister. Okay, because she didn't say more than like two words in this movie, so I couldn't tell. But they don't have a very good relationship because she hates anything to do with magic and so does her husband. Is she a muggle? No, she's definitely a muggle and she always hated her sister for being magic because she thought she was just like a weird freak and they'd always kind of, up until the first film, they'd always lied to Harry about, you know, what had happened to his parents and they'd never told him anything about magic or anything. So they kind of, they still, I think because each year Dumbledore thinks it's a good idea if Harry gets away from the magical world for a bit just to kind of keep him safe and all of that so unfortunately at the end of every school year he has to go back to them which they kind of don't really like but I think they kind of keep their distance from him a little bit now because they're a bit freaked out because obviously he's now magical so he could uh, do magic and stuff to them but it's he pretty much is just there because he has to be but he just can't wait to go back to school every year uh... I did get kind of a Twilight Zone vibe off of it where they're sort of scared of him but I you know because they know what he's capable of and we see what he's capable of but I also I, I wasn't aware that they knew that he was magical because they make that remark about him being in the other school. So I thought like the wizards were like doing like a forget a kiss sort of spell on <laughs> on the aunt and uncle every year or whatever. Or they just said like, hey, no. we're here to pick up Harry and he doesn't. It's like, you know, when you go to the uh, Xavier school, you don't tell the parents like it's a school for mutants. <laughs> you just say like it's a special school. Yeah, I think it's more just a they know they're stuck with Harry. Harry knows he's stuck with them and they kind of just have this sort of balance of just kind of trying to avoid trying to avoid each other at all costs yeah there's very there's a lot of tension here brian what are you feeling about this this opening sequence here are you into it i mean they pretty much uh, the structure of these films except again for like the last one it's because it's like a two-parter like pretty much remains consistent right like he always is like i don't think he's always staying with them i think later he's i think there's one time he stays with the weasleys right yeah because you see the weasleys went on like a world tour it's like why didn't they bring harry i thought they were poor like they could just he could tag along like it may yeah okay but i think one time he does because i'm remembering one movie where he's there at the beginning but yeah, I mean, I've always liked these intros because, to me, this is what humanizes Harry Potter. My biggest problem with Harry Potter is Harry Potter, like, himself. I like the world a lot, but he's, to me, he's such, like, a like a Mary Sue. 
Really? You think? I think he can't really do anything. Like I'm like he's a very reluctant sort of hero. Be like, oh, I'm so powerful, but I don't want to do anything. Of course, it's you, Harry. They've been saying, they've been saying it's you since day one. Yeah, but I mean, people who hear the call that are like considered a Mary Sue, they're usually they're like up against it, right? You know, they go and they chase that that call, and he's like very much. I just wanna, I just wanna be a normal kid, and it's like, well, it's tough. Like you're not. Well, uh, well, I think these scenes though, like at the beginning, really like help remind you that like yeah when when he goes to hogwarts his life is like cool and dangerous at home he's like his life sucks so i've always liked these opening scenes uh, i like the way this movie looks like right off the bat too like it's um even the the earth i'm gonna just say it's like the earth or maybe the muggle world the muggle world itself like is sort of very dark and drab and gothic and I can feel the texture and the realness to it, and I like the way that this movie looks in general. Because this one had kind of a different look, because it was the first one that had a different director, because the other two had that were directed by Christopher Columbus. So they had kind of a different look about them, but then this one had a different director, so he kind of went in like a different kind of tone. They look like Chris Columbus films, you know? I don't hate them, I like them, but they're very much kids' films. Not that this one isn't. But this is the first, like, artistic Harry Potter film. That's what it feels like. Well, yeah, they brought in Alfonso Cuaron, of all people, to come in here, who's mostly known for, you know, drama from other countries, which is, right? Like, he's not an American filmmaker. Like, I feel like he's a pretty minimalist kind of director. His films are very grounded and stuff. So, like, even Children of Men, right? Like, there's so many long tracking shots in that movie that grounded and even though it's like this crazy real reality and everything so i guess he was a good call to sort of switch gears the children are older now the look has to grow up what a choice like he's coming off itu mama tambien which is just like again like an indie (laughs) mexican sex movie not like you know that sounds bad but it's like very not children you know it's it's like an erotic drama yes yeah (laughs) <laughs> but and it would and nowadays it would be like they'd give him a Marvel movie, right? Like yeah, that makes <laughs> that like, makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. And then so I quickly mentioned that Harry like does magic in the real world, which apparently is against the law. Yes, you're not allowed to do underage magic because you get in trouble because they don't want people to find out. You know, when you're away from Hogwarts, that you're doing magic because they do try and keep it a secret from the muggles as much as possible and especially him since he's like a wanted kid right like people uh, like bad people are looking for him and they probably have like amulets or spells that are you know if he you know there's like a signal if harry uses magic or whatever i feel like he's a beacon like he should keep a lower profile and follow the rules a little bit better that's the thing i don't feel like he truly appreciates you know the danger that he's in at all times like he just ends up running away from home and be like, wait for someone with like a magical spell to come get you at least. I think Harry's always a bit just like, he's a bit headstrong all the time and he's always just like, it's fine, I'm just going to run away and even if there's danger, I don't care because he does get a bit like, you know, just get a bit over the top about that sometimes. Are they trying to hint at anything at all times, Shawnee, either now or in the book, in the movies, that, you know, he can sort of go to the dark side like Voldemort sometimes? Like, is he strong enough to, like, you know, destroy Voldemort and take his place on the throne of snakes? And, like, are they worried about that? Or are they just worried that he can't stop him? No, I don't think that was ever a thing. I think one of the later books, as you start to kind of, as she starts to kind of establish the kind of connection between he and Voldemort, it's more kind of Harry's worried about it. But I 
it's not kind of anyone else's like oh my god it's not like Dumbledore's like oh my god any minute he could become the next Voldemort I think it's more he kind of worries about it but then with that one in particular Luna sort of comes in and is like but that's what he wants you to think but you know actually and I think there's often I don't know if it's this one but there's one of them like a quote that you know we all have light and dark within us it's just you know which part that we choose to act on so it's sort of I think it's more like a it's just coming from Harry but no one else no one ever sort of you know keeping an eye on him in case he's gonna like go evil any second oh, that's a little refreshing to be quite honest with you not to have to worry about that ever popping up that they just want to groom him sort of to be able to handle whatever comes yeah. along at any time yeah there's not like a oh my god there's harry's gone evil there's never a scene with that happening so that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> we've got a few more stops before we get to hogwarts which i was a little surprised i know there's always like a couple like antics going on but um this thing with the bus really i this kind of like it's kind of cool in concept but i don't know about the execution of this brian what did you think about the triple decker bus driving sequence it's just like they always do this you know there's always like I think the one before this, they were in, like, a flying car. <laughs> There's always, like, something like, how are we going to get there? <laughs> you know, and again, into the later films. It was There was that, like, Jamaican head thing, right? Yeah, I didn't love the shrunken heads, because that, that wasn't in the book. The night bus was in the book, of course, but the shrunken heads weren't. And I've never enjoyed that, because it just is a bit, like, I think it's a bit, like, jokey and a bit gross, but... And it doesn't seem quite appropriate. And that's interesting. Point out as we go along, too, if there's any, like, book deviations and stuff like that, because it's interesting to note that, um, you know, they omit things, but I wasn't aware that they were adding stuff, too. So that's pretty interesting. I like this tavern, though. This place is really cool. It's very old school. Sort of, you know, we get the green witch that looks like the Wicked Witch of the West here, which is, you know, the iconic, if you will, Brian looking witch someone's got to remind me a little bit uh shawnee what is this like someone's the minister of magic knew that harry used magic is that what's going on here when he gets there yeah because i think i'm not sure how they keep track of it but the ministry kind of keep track of all underage wizards and i think i think if you use magic outside of school i don't quite remember how they know but they get kind of like you know a ping or something and it's like why isn't he reprimanded he doesn't get reprimanded because they're i think they're happy that they've kind of found harry and he's not just wandering around doing magic because they are worried because uh there is a magical killer on the loose at the moment so they're kind of i think they're more just a bit worried about him so they're kind of like no no don't worry it's all it's all totally fine everything's fine because the minister of magic is useless and he likes to just pretend that nothing is ever wrong so he's kind of like no no it's fine but just you know don't go anywhere and just stay here and i've got all your books you don't have to go anywhere and we'll just drop you off at school so you're just out the way of danger okay so maybe they thought he was defending himself against Sirius Black because we find out on the bus that Sirius Black has escaped from Azkaban the only person ever to escape from Azkaban which yeah three cheers for him very hard there are these dementors flying around which I have lots of questions about in a little while Harry is connected to Sirius we also find out later that Sirius Black was like watching over him at the bus stop he was like the wolf in the bushes, I believe. Yes, um, it was actually a dog. As it turns out later, he is one of those extra special magical people, an animagus, that is, apart from being magic, you can also turn into an animal at will. 
So he can turn into a creepy black dog. Brian, how you feeling about this going down with the... Uh, I, I, I got to admit, the intro, I wish he didn't find out about Sirius Black and maybe until after this bus ride, because it's kind of hard to, like, you know, they're doing this big action sequence, and then, you know, they're also <laughs> shoving in this exposition and stuff. It would be nice if that Igor character, like, threw him the newspaper, and then they're like, oh, okay, that's why the minister's, like, acting so funny. I mean, again, I'm not complaining. I know... They're largely children's movies, but, like, Harry Potter gets away with everything. He does. Ha- okay, that, that's, like, mean to say. I should really say that, like, Harry Potter definitely, because his celebrity status, has special treatment. You were asking, oh, why didn't he get in trouble? Because he's Harry Potter. Because he's the chosen one. Don't tell the chosen one on. It's true. They gear everything to, like, help Harry Potter out. So is this because they messed up with Voldemort in the past? Like, they kept too many secrets from him? They weren't nurturing him? Like, are they trying to do the opposite with, with Harry? Or Because it, it just seems like everyone's afraid of him. And that's why they're, like, being... Not, and especially when we get to Hogwarts, I've got, I've got even more questions. I, I'm just getting, like, this very... Every time he's in the room, everyone is, like, on, walking on eggshells. And I'm not sure... You know, for me, it feels like they're scared of him. But it's more what he represents. It's like, you know, the boy who lived right like something about him he's the only one that could you know stop Voldemort so it's sort of it's just this weird balance of like trying to train him but not tell him too much but also tell him enough but like keep him out of danger and keep him alive so he can get to the point to defeat Voldemort so I think sometimes people let him get away with stuff because he's so important but then other people don't, like, you know, Professor Snape doesn't want to get away with anything because he hates him. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't think anyone's, like, scared of him. I think it's just he's so important. They're kind of just, like, not really sure what to do and how to, like, you know, how best to get him to that point. But he's just got to, like, we've just got to prepare him as best we can because no one else can stop Voldemort. It has to be this boy. So it's, like, we just we just have to get him to the point so he can save us all. And luckily, he doesn't have to get there alone because we're reintroduced to Ron and Hermione. I thought it was cute how the cat, her cat, was chasing his mouse in the beginning. Or well, it's a rat. With Scabbers is a rat. Well, Scabbers is actually a person, (laughs) which is fucking nuts. Yeah. Spoiler alert: He's actually a person. (laughs) And doesn't Hermione turn into a cat in one of them? Yeah, that's the second one because she has a polyjuice potion, but she accidentally gets a cat hair off of someone's robes rather than their own hair so she turns into like a cat girl jk rowling has a cat thing because we get that we get the werewolf we get the maybe it's not a cat thing but it's like the dog the werewolf the cat like people are transforming yeah this one's very animal heavy there's a lot of animal action going on in this one there's just animals because in this buckbeak there's like animals all over the place in this one. And they eat that candy at Hogwarts and they start screaming like different animals and stuff. Like, that's pretty cool. The monster book is really cool. Like, that's that comes back later. But there's a lot of nice practical effects and the, all the sets and all that kind of stuff. Is this is this what the tour kind of looked like when you look at, like, the buildings and things? Were they accurate? Yeah, definitely. Because the tour is kind of... It's just this massive... It's these two massive soundstage warehousey things and they kind of just fit them out with bits of sets and it's more like bits of sets you can't really go in except for now they have green guts but you can't actually walk into any of the sets but this one's got kind of things in more detail and costumes so you can go up and like look at things closer or it will have like part of a room or that 
sort of thing. But it's just if you want to kind of walk around and pretend you're in like Harry Potter universe, then um, the one in Florida is the way to go because you can walk into all the shops and you can go on the train. And the studio tour is more just full on amazing detail all over the place and it's just it's amazing i've got a question when they get on the the train here first of all i think it's kind of poor staging when we see the guy sleeping in their car like that like he cannot be comfortable and he is definitely (laughs) faking it but when they're on the train the these things called dementors which just look like grim reapers and things i'm assuming they're looking for Sirius black but they come up to harry potter and and they do from the only thing I can describe it is they start sucking his soul. I don't yeah. really know what else to say, but can you quickly, Shawnee, what is, what are, are Dementors, were they ever people? Like, what is going on with this thing? No, I think they're just kind of like a weird magical creature thing, but they're used as the guards of Azkaban. One, they're used as guards, but also they use them to sort of punish people. Um, I think really just what they do, they sense I think they kind of sense like trauma in people and that kind of thing. So they kind of, if anything bad has ever happened to you or like they could just sense all of like the bad. And they feed off of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So they kind of feed off of that. So I guess if And that hurts you like, and then, so they drain you and they drag you back to Azkaban and lock you up. Yeah. And then sometimes they call it the Dementor's Kiss. And sometimes they kind of actually suck your soul out so much that they physically suck your soul out of your body assume sometimes you're done but and then are you just a zombie are you like a husk or are you dead i'm not really sure i feel like maybe it's kind of you know corporal punishment i feel like maybe you're executed i don't think they do the full dementors kiss thing that often i think they more just suck your soul out a little bit just to keep you in line or just punish you for being evil but yeah they kind of just so i think if you've had more bad things happen to you in your life like harry they can kind of they're drawn to him because they can sense that. Whereas like, you know, Ron and Hermione don't have dead parents and they've never seen anyone dead and nothing like awful has happened to them. So the Dementors are like, eh, don't want them. Nothing's happened to them. So they're boring. Hermione's been subject to a bit of racism throughout this series. So for, so like she's got it a little harder. Ron is living the wizard's life. Like he's who I, he reminds me of like Lord of the Rings kind of family. Like that's what I thought of. Like I love that whole Weasley clan. I think they're hilarious. I love the Weasleys because they've just got like a, they don't have a lot of money and they're a bit kind of, you know, slapdash and things sometimes, but they're just like, they're just having a good time. They're just happy and they're just a happy family of thousands of redheads. Yeah, I was going to say, they they get mocked for having red hair and hand-me-down robes. But, you know, I think they're happier than anyone else. So uh, They don't know. have it easy though. Only, only the Malfoys have it easy. Oh, I hate those Malfoys. They're oh. a bunch of bastards, so we don't we don't want to Worst. talk about them. <laughs> what is kind of cool is uh, I like how when we get to school, um, it's broken up into like seasons. We get fall, winter, and spring, which is pretty cool, like semesters. We get the great song that they're singing here is very effective. I guess I love that one with the singing toads and everything. They're fun. Yeah, I, did, I noticed those toads were great. I love the toads. The whole vibe is working. We get help me what is his name Dumbledore right yes and we get the the new Dumbledore because they had to um replace um well because the first two films Richard Harris was um Dumbledore but unfortunately after the second film he died quite quickly afterwards so they had to 
they had to replace him, which I was sort of, it's awful that they had to replace him, but I feel like the way they did it and at the point they did it, it sort of seems to work because I feel like from the third one on, Dumbledore has kind of a different role because the first two, he was kind of just like, he's just that like magical headmaster guy that we all kind of love, but we don't, and we don't see him as often. And he's kind of just this different figure because I think the first two, well, they're very more like the characters are all more child yeah, he feels much just more like a principal in those movies like the head yeah master. and then from the third one on he kind of their relationship kind of changes because you get it's almost like Dumbledore kind of expects more from him each time so I feel like swapping over to a different Dumbledore it doesn't ever feel jarring to me I think it kind of feels like it makes sense but yeah I think both Dumbledores do a fantastic job but obviously we get Michael Gambon as Dumbledore for a lot longer Brian do you have a favorite Dumbledore I mean, there's only two. Or is Jude Law? Is Jude Law your favorite Dumbledore? Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen that one. Oh, well, he's quite dashing in that one as Youngledore. What I think is more of a fair question is, and the, the I don't want to call it a gag because it's serious, but every, at least book, right, has a different Defense of the Dark Arts teacher. Yes. Yes, they do. Because unfortunately, sometimes they end up being evil or something. <laughs> sometimes. Like, most of the time... <laughs> This is kind of the only one that it's that's not the case. He at the end of the year he still leaves, but for a different reason. It's not he hasn't turned out to be evil. He just has his own stuff going on. So um, and he obviously pops up again later as a main character. So he's kind of you know he just isn't a teacher anymore. But and he still turns out to be probably the aside from the Dementors really, and maybe Harry himself to himself. Like he turns out to be the cause or the biggest threat. Like everyone thinks it's serious black running around, like doing all this crazy stuff, but it turns out to be Lupin as a werewolf, you know, like he transforms and he loses control and he attacks the kids sometimes and he scratches the paintings and everyone's like, Oh, it, it's gotta be that guy who can turn into a dog. And it's like, dude, we live like in a magic, you know, actually realm. I'm just like, I'm just a dog, but I don't like, you know, savage. People <laughs> I'm not actually a werewolf. Right. It's like I still knew who I was. I was just a dog. Like the werewolf lost control. But this one, he doesn't remember anything and he's just gone like, you know, we have to run away and he's not giving out chocolate anymore. It's like, oh, he's changed. And Harry's just like, you know, he has no stable adults in his entire life. And then this one sort of awkward, the two that he gets the closest to having stability. One, everyone thinks is a murderer and turns into a dog and the other one is a werewolf. So it's kind of he still is yet to find any stable adults in his life, desperate for some parent. But They're both men who turn into savage animals that people think are dangerous killers and turn out not to be. And most lists, though, rank Professor Lupin as the favorite Defense of the Dark Arts teacher. So. Oh, yeah, he definitely is. I think because more in the books, he gets to be much a much bigger character. He's like focused on a lot more, but this one he kind of pops in and out for the rest of the films because this one gives you more background about Harry's parents and kind of this one sort of is weirdly quite adult centric because you get kind of all of the marauders and the get start to learn more about Harry's parents and their friends and so this one all the friends are kind of like having a reunion at the same time but that makes sense I get I kind of get that more towards the end when Sirius and Lupin reunite and they're like oh it looks like part of the band is back together feeling and then you get the idea oh this is a much larger it sort of expands the world a little more it's like oh there's so much more going on than what's happening at Hogwarts there's like this whole war where the adults are reforming into different sides and you know it there's more at stake when you bring in you know Gary Oldman to play Sirius Black it's like all right like you know they're trying to add a level of 
gravitas or drama here that he brings. Yes, and I think he's uh, re-wearing his wig from Dracula. Luxurious and like curly and... I love his spells. Those are spells all over his body that he tattooed on him or something? Is that what's happening? Yeah, I think they're, I think they're runes or something. But yeah, I'm assuming he did that in prison. I guess they still do prison tats in the world of Harry Potter. <laughs> I got the sense that he's like a super powerful wizard and because like he would go the extra mile and actually like put these spells on him, like Constantine did that, Keanu Reeves and Constantine, like he has like these tattoos that he uses to like perform magic and stuff. So I just thought that they were like protections. And I think it's more just because they look cool. I don't actually think he uses for anything but i think it's more they don't help him turn into a dog no i think it's more just like a cool that looks like (laughs) a fun thing to add to gary oldman just to make him look cooler lupin's really cool i like the dark arts class sequence brian if you were faced with this shape-shifting thing right so what's the concept here it's like the thing you're most afraid of and you have to laugh at it to get it to change back what do you think's coming out of that? Ooh, I don't know. I don't, nothing I'm going to share on this podcast will tell you that. You don't think it's going to be like a computer with like files and files that need to be edited within, <laughs> you know, a day or yeah. so? I mean, that's probably it. The, my latest episode that shall not be named that needs to be edited because that's always a task. But no, I mean, that's cool. I love this scene. We get a creepy clown. You see, I feel like that would be what would my bog up would be a clown. I hate the bit that it's like a scary thing has come out and I've turned into a clown and now it's funny. It's like, no, I'd be like, no, I'm still, I'm still scared of this giant clown that's coming towards me. Yeah. One of the things was a spider, right? Was, wasn't there a big spider like in the woods around the school and stuff too? Like, isn't that just, that's a thing, right? That was in the second one. There's a Hagrid has a giant spider that lives out in the forbidden forest. And because Ron is horrified of spiders, everything you know he's just scared of spiders all the time so his boggart is like a massive spider and one of them is alan rickman in a dress right that's we get snape yes that's neville's one because he's kind of as equally scared of snape as he is of his grandmother (laughs) snape in his grandmother's because then he goes like well i didn't i wouldn't want it to turn into my grandmother either but like you know he kind of puts him in his grandmother's clothes and it makes it funny sort of but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty cool sequence, though. I like the idea we get a little more depth with each of the kids. You know, seeing that is a really quick way to, you know, show us a little more about who all these people are. And then you get like a quick snippet because then Lupin jumps in front of Harry because then everyone's like, uh, actually, this is probably a bad idea. Getting Harry Potter to come up against something that scares him the most because I think they all worry that like Voldemort's going to come out of the cupboard. Lupin like leaps of him and then for a very quick second you get like the full moon so you start to get kind of hints about his thing and then you get the other class with Snape with the turn to page 394 thing which he's kind of because he hates them as well that he's trying to just give up his secret to the students (laughs) wildly inappropriate Snape you awful man yeah it took him a while to show up in this one i was very glad to see him when he did because i'm i love alan rickman but i was like whoa i guess you know there are a lot of books there are going to be a lot of films they got to sort of dole them out when they need them yeah spread them out a little got to spread all the uber talent around because there's just so many so many famous british actors in all of these films you got to just you know spread them around a bit oh yeah because like everyone is in it because Emma Thompson is in this one as well. Yeah, she's great. What a cool character. 
Trelawney because you don't this is the first time she pops up because she's like a mad well she's sort of really powerful but at the same time she's kind of just a bit all over the place so she teaches divination which Hermione is not a fan of because I mean Hermione is weird she'll kind of believe that she's a witch and she goes to magic school and there's magic around all the time and that she can perform magic but her belief will only take her so far because she's always kind of like no Harry people don't hear voices and then she's like oh divination it's so stupid but it's kind of like but you're a witch you believe that you're a witch yeah that's so crazy to me even to the point where like she's gonna we find out this whole movie she's been time traveling like that she's like straight up using science yes but she'll kind of go like you know oh yes i'm using magic but in like a logical way but you're telling me you can see the future you idiot or like you're hearing magic voices like i don't and she always kind of acts like even though each time harry has proved to be correct she always kind of acts a bit like oh god harry's off again being crazy but i'm time traveling over here but like he's just gone off the end <laughs> you know to a degree i gotta uh, like this school i mean it's a pretty dangerous school to be a student at like it's got it like to this whole world i'm on edge like the the quidditch match in the rain like why would they do that not only like in the rain because it's so damn dangerous but they know that the mentors are flying around they know harry potter can't like they don't want him to die it just seems so counterintuitive to me like that they would have this quidditch match now (laughs) you have to have quidditch if you released a book or a movie and there is no quidditch scene people would like you know riot like it's an important part of the lore so is it just because like there's been a there hasn't been one in the rain yet so we have to show that oh they do this in all types of weather i mean maybe i don't know but it's in you know like quidditch is probably one of the most beloved things to come out of this book series Oh, yeah, Quidditch is amazing. The last time I was at Comic-Con, which I think was 2012, but they had Quidditch matches in the basement of the Javits Center going on and stuff. So, <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, it's far-reaching. You know, people, <laughs> people want it to be a real sport. And I think this one sort of to show that the Dementors are kind of meant to just keep their distance from all the students so they're not meant to pose a danger to them but because they are sort of they've underestimated how drawn they are to Harry so it's sort of they're not actually meant to be at Quidditch but unfortunately because Harry's there they're like "Ooh, we've got to go and like you know kill this boy because he's so had so much trauma so I think they kind of go oh actually that probably was a mistake because now we've got these like demon things attacking students but they're not meant to they're meant to just kind of be attacking Sirius, but they've changed their mind because they love Harry so much. Well, because he's so traumatized. He's got like such a great soul to eat. They just can't get enough. Because I think when J.K. Rowling was writing The Dementors, I think they're meant to kind of be like an allegory for depression. I think when she was writing them, because then Dumbledore has that quote about happiness can be found even in the darkest of times if one only remembers to turn on the light. So it's kind of like, you know, you have to try and turn away from like The Dementors and that sort of stuff and just remember happy things, which I guess that's why when you use the Patronus charm, you summon that by remembering like the happiest you've ever been in your life and then you create a powerful light to sort of dispel the Dementors. So I think that when she was writing them, 
they were kind of like a stand-in for depression because i mean she does get pretty deep about stuff like that sometimes in the books but it becomes a big part of the finale uh where he has to sort of overcome the sadness of losing his parents to a degree because he thinks his dad saved him and then it turns out oh he actually like ended up saving himself and that is a sort of like another cue where it's like oh you know you, you can you know do self-work and get yourself back together again and you know all that kind of thing too so that's pretty interesting i thought the magic map was pretty cool that takes him to the shake shake shack the shrieking shack because it's the most haunted place in britain apparently yeah so <laughs> is it the okay so this is a quick moment to ask about this so there's like american wizards and stuff too right like it's not just in great britain or it's not just in europe right because is this the most haunted shack in the wizarding world in the entire um, world i think it's just in england or in britain so i guess that's it's the scariest place in ireland and scotland and stuff as well but <laughs> yeah there are other magical people but they kind of in the original harry potter series you meet some more european magical people but you never meet anyone else from overseas which is kind of touched on in the other films that we won't talk about because uh, i don't like those very much but uh, but yeah there's kind of schools everywhere i'm assuming i'm not sure if australia has one so i'm not sure where i would have had to travel but uh yeah <laughs> all right hmm. i'm gonna look that up but i don't know if she's invented that yet because she keeps you know inventing stuff all the time <laughs> jk stop doing that and then going back right and like changing things like not changing things but like oh you didn't know this person was like this the whole time i wish she would stop doing that obviously she created this crafted this amazingly intricate thing and i wish she'd kind of just you know, if you want to create more, that's fine. But don't go back in and start editing things. Because obviously people love Harry Potter. So just leave that bit alone and just go forth and do other stuff. <laughs> She's starting to like retcon stuff and be like, oh, well, here's like the whole truth. And thing. I mean, like, yeah. Did, oh, didn't you know? Actually, this person was evil the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Hermione is like the worst villain. But... So uh, Australian Harry Potter facts. This is all that has been written, apparently, that Australian Quidditch players are characterized by their speed and showmanship. There are two dominating Quidditch teams in Australia. The, I want to say the Thunderdome, because that'd be awesome. <laughs> Thundalara Thunderers and the Wollongong Warriors. That's all we know about Australia and the world of Harry Potter. Maybe that'll be the next film series. That'll be all about Australia. Come on, JK. <laughs> <laughs> so Harry's got this cool map and he's sneaking around. Is this where he find he finds out Sirius Black is his godfather? Is that when he finds this out? Oh yeah, because he like sneaks in to Hogsmeade with the invisibility cloak. And for some reason, I don't really know why they chose to do this scene in this way, but I've, obviously they wanted to impart Harry had to hear this information somehow, but for some reason, McGonagall and the Minister of Magic, which is a very bizarre combination, are telling the owner of the pub. Like, it's all a bit like, I know he had to hear that information somehow, but it seems like a really weird combination of people to tell him. But yeah, he sort of roughly finds out that Sirius was best friends with his dad and, and his mom, but apparently everyone has always believed that he was the one that sold them out to Voldemort and that's why they were killed. And apparently he killed Peter Pettigrew, who was like, you know, their sad little friend that just followed them around. But actually, as it turns out, it was the other way around and Sirius had nothing to do with it, but he's been blamed for it the whole time. But yes, he is Harry's godfather. But then he kind of, Harry gets all upset because then he's like, he was their friend and like he thinks that. <laughs> 
serious as like the worst thing ever because his parents are dead because of him and he killed Peter Pettigrew, but all that was left was his finger. There's so much like this needed to be told to Harry by like, you know, Dumbledore needed to sit him down the first day of the semester and be like, Harry, I, a word, please. <laughs> That's because Dumbledore never really shares a lot with Harry. But Lupin needs to be like, look, my best friend was framed. <laughs> like all the, you know, like something, something Harry, like, because it mm. all gets like everyone's, that's the thing. It's like, they're not lying to him, but they're not telling him the truth. And it's like almost more dangerous, you know, like, because he's confused. Like he's got nothing to believe, like to hold on to or anything. Like one person says one thing, one person as another yeah a little bit more knowledge would be really good but because i suppose lupin i suppose he doesn't tell them either because he up until that point always thought that sirius had done it as well so he kind of was never but then in this one he finds out that it wasn't serious so i think lupin kind of didn't really want to tell him either but yeah i feel like someone sort of just gone here's the situation just letting you know everything just so you're prepared for serious but like but instead people are like mm, i don't really want to tell you anything but actually but keep away from him but i won't tell you anything about him because he's scary and dangerous so here's a question i had when did lupin figure out that scabbers was peter we find out that that's why him as a werewolf sort of attacks the children we think they want he wants to hurt the children but he's trying to get at scabbers and that's why they all sort of run into the tree and stuff right and yeah i think because i think because they all knew that peter pettigrew i don't know i don't actually know if they knew he could turn into an animal because i feel like that came in handy when he disappeared he could just become a rat and like but then he kind of thinks it's weird that ron's family has had a rat for so long because surely the rat would have died by now but i think it's the point when harry tells him that he saw peter pettigrew walking around on the map and then lupin's kind of like hang on a second that makes sense because he's apparently dead yeah yeah but yeah i think it's because of the map so i did a i did a little bit of extra research because i was really fascinated with the map i'm not sure if this comes from the book or like and Shawnee, maybe you know, or some kind of other Harry Potter lore that J.K. Rowling has since invented, I don't know. But there was four guys, and they call themselves the, the Marauders. And that's the, the Marauders map. That all comes from the book, which you get tons more detail about that. But unfortunately, they kind of never say that in the film. But the reason that the map exists is because of the Marauders, who was Harry's dad, Lupin, Sirius. And because it's got their names on the front, it's got like Mooney, Padfoot, Wormtail, and prongs, because because Harry's dad, I don't, I think he could turn into a stag or something. Cause, oh right. yeah, because Harry thinks he sees one. Yeah, but they were the ones that created the map. But we kind of, they didn't have time for that in the film, so they kind of just never talked about where the map came from. <laughs> yeah, because I'm not a book reader, and then I saw them, I'm like, oh, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. And apparently, like one of the reasons they created it was that, well, Lupin is a werewolf. You know, again, spoiler alert or whatever. No, we're there. We're at that part. But uh, his friends kind of, like, learned the ways to turn into other animals as a way to comfort him almost, like, when he oh. when he was a werewolf. And they had this map to kind of, like, find each other and, and find all this stuff. So that that's why when they see Pettigrew moving on the map, they're like, holy shit, I guess he's alive. Yes. And then they use the map for all of their hijinks because to get the map to work, you have to say, I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. And then when you want to finish using the map, you say mischief managed. So it's all kind of, you know, <laughs> so they could do their sneaky things and sneak around and sneak to Hogsmeade. And yes, but later on the map kind of, when one way it's kind of helpful because it gives you information, but then Lupin is also worried 
that Harry has up because then if someone else found the map, then they could find Harry at all times. So it's kind of, he takes the map off of him and then tells him off because he obviously created the map so he knows all about it. Okay, and is and Sirius is Harry's, It's he's not related by blood, right? It's not like it's his uncle, it's just his godfather. Yeah, because he, he was James's best friend, so they kind of went, you can be the godfather of our baby, but not knowing that he'd never actually meet him until he was 13, because they didn't know he was going to go to prison, so. <laughs> or that they would die, but, you know, all of that. <laughs> it's kind of cool how uh, I like the, the wolf and the dog fight, like when... Sirius and Lupin have to sort of fight each other or that whole thing like they did a like I don't love the werewolf effect but what I like about it is how it's a wolf man it's not like it's a dog on dog kind of like dog fight yeah. or anything like they look <laughs> drastically different than each other and it's like Sirius is kind of trying his best to fight him off but so it's sort of like actually I'm completely not prepared for this I'm just like a small dog and you're this like you know horrifying like seven foot wolf man beast but like I'm trying to just like protect the children but and and it's because of that fight that the Dementors find him right and like that's how they end up by the lake they say because i gotta admit like this movie is pretty long and it's very dense and yes. i feel like if i had read the book i it wouldn't feel it would feel kind of breezy maybe i think in the book it kind of feels a bit more spread out but yeah this one's kind of i think it feels so long because you get the sort of you get that night happening the first time and then you kind of through the time travel you go back through it again so why did they have to time travel again because they screwed up why does anyone time travel um i think because sirius then ends up being caught again and the dementors this time are going to kill him right and also because they've executed buckbeak the hippogriff and also because peter pettigrew got away oh so all those things actually happened the first time yeah so all of that happened because then it turns out that peter pettigrew all along was actually working for voldemort and he was the one that sold them out and then disappeared and turned into a rat so then he kind of disappears and then they all end up in the forest because lupin has chased them but then yeah because obviously dumbledore kind of doesn't want any of that to happen he sort of lets hermione you know, use her time turner that she's just been using to get to lessons. But he kind of lets her use it to go back and perhaps try and fix those two things. And that, you know, Sirius and Buckbeak will get to live and perhaps they can catch Peter Pettigrew, which unfortunately they still don't. Yeah, because that's the one thing that he doesn't really, that it doesn't change. Because we pretty much see it play out the way it's going to, except for we hear that uh, Sirius has been taken back to Azkaban and stuff. And so then I like it more now because I was a little like, "Mm, we're going to do some time travel like here at the end. Like this is, it felt kind of just like very jarring, especially for a magic movie. And that kind not that you can't, but just that like it was super unexpected and it felt a little shoved in there. And I think because they use that weird like, terminator kind of time travel logic that weird like it's happening now because it's already happened but if it didn't happen now it wouldn't happen it's that weird like loop that it's happened before but it's not happened but yeah it's not like avengers endgame where it's like no matter where you are it's always the present even if you're in the past it's like you can't change it's like what whatever just go have fun in the whatever yeah but make sure you don't you know run into yourself question how did hermione get this device um, well, because Hermione, instead of someone counselling her and going, perhaps you don't need to do, you know, 50 subjects this year, maybe just take it easy, uh, because she wants to do so many magical subjects and they're all at the same time. Professor McGonagall at the start of the year gives her a time turner. And that's why sort of 
on and off throughout the movie Hermione keeps appearing and everyone's like uh were you there before and she's like yeah I've been here this whole time whoa so a teacher gave her that yeah so then she can just you know she can go to that ancient runes class and then she can just do the time turner and go back and then go back to divination so that's extremely irresponsible of that teacher (laughs) yeah i feel like she should have just gone i'm not going to give you a time turner and you can just do less subjects because you don't you can't do everything hermione even though you are the brightest witch of your age yeah you can't do all the subjects (laughs) no but i think that's something that's lost yay hermione but like if harry potter wasn't around people might be ogling her because she's like like you said, Shoni, like considered the brightest witch of her generation. Yeah, but no way because she she's mostly Muggle. Like, there's no way she's a mudblood. There's no way that they're gonna. But she is like extremely powerful. I think because she's so smart as well. But she's just like a super witch. And people want to support her. Like people want to support her academics. So they. Mm-hmm. That's why they, I guess that's why they give her this tool because you know it's important. I think because they also feel like she's good support for Harry because she knows so much and she's so powerful and she knows pretty much every spell ever. It's true. They kind of feel like they want to sort of, I think because Ron doesn't really have as many talents, they kind of, but they really want to nurture Hermione because they know that she will be invaluable to Harry over the time, which she always is because she always saves saves him because she always knows a spell or she, you know, does a fake werewolf call and calls the werewolf away. Yeah, they're like sort of I don't know, Brian, do you know um, uh, the Green Hornet in Kato? Like, Kato was his sidekick played by Bruce Lee, and he was just way better at everything than the Green Hornet. <laughs> it's like one of his support, you know, one of his team is, like, way better than, like, the actual leader kind of situation. But I, I just think the only thing I needed to fix this whole time travel was to maybe be, like, see Hermione on screen with herself sort of passing like herself in the hallway in the background or something throughout the movie you know see see her distinct sort of trot down the hall somewhere in the background and be like wait a minute if you go back and you watch again <laughs> it's like where is she it's like where's waldo <laughs> that probably would have been like a good i think it's just because the books are so dense it's unfortunately tiny things like that i think i've never had a problem because i read all the books before I saw the film so it's sort of I always had all the detail but yeah there are kind of things that I think obviously if I hadn't read the books I'd probably watch and go uh does that make sense did I know that have they told me that before yeah I thought it was pretty cool that what they go back to do like they save the griffin thing uh what is that thing again the hippogriff sorry they save the hippogriff (laughs) and they and he uses it to to break Sirius out of prison right and then Sirius can escape on week so then they both get to live there's a shot of them together like as fugitives like <laughs> flying away and everything else. like that's awesome and then he sends him the feather at the end so then hermione and harry are like oh there we go that's buckbeak's feather he sent, and so wait in the broom too right he says oh yeah yeah because harry's broom was destroyed yeah because they're playing quidditch in like a f- magical thunderstorm yeah so then he kind of sends him a replacement broom and no one else knows where it comes from because ron has no idea what's happened because oh because he got attacked by um sirius accidentally so ron kind of sits this one out and has yeah. no idea if the time travel has happened and they Good sort of call. come back at the end How about and he's that? like i don't know so he has ron is completely in the dark about everything especially since he's 
I feel like his family set up so well early on. Like his dad is talking to Harry in the pub about Sirius Black, and he's like, "I can't tell you much, but I can tell you to watch out." <laughs> and Harry's like, "Are you serious? Why would I go after a mass murderer?" I know, and he's like, "I'm serious as Black." Uh, Ron's brothers are the ones that give him the map, you know, and and uh, you know, I'm like, "Well, what does Ron do this whole movie? He not." Not very much. Yeah, he gets attacked by a dog and he's kind of like, what's happening? There's a werewolf. And my rat is evil and like a fit. But then by the end, he's kind of like, wait, you dropped me off at the hospital and this happened. Now, hang on, what? Now they've escaped? Now he's not dead? I don't understand. I've just been sitting here like for five seconds and you guys disappeared. But now everything's different. But So I don't know if Ron ever knows what happened in that but that film, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> It's just one of those mysteries that'll never be solved. I know that in, is it the next one or was it in a previous one where you could put your face in like a pool of water somewhere and you can see like a memory? Maybe, maybe Ron can do that. Yeah, maybe he could. Do, yeah, that one is in a later film. I think it's popped out before, but it sort of becomes a, a plot point later. Yeah, this is different for you, Mike, because if it's a third film, but it's a third film where, I mean, obvious a hundred percent continuity with the rest of the films but we know we're on a long journey here so it's not your traditional third film i'm sure no no by no means i was just going to get into that actually how un sort of conventional the harry potter series was because you know they they kind of pre-planned all this they knew that there was like you said they there were going to be more than three whereas like when they did Lord of the Rings, you know, way back, Peter Jackson, and it was just a different time and stuff, but they're like, let's just do uh, the three, and then when The Hobbit came out, there's like, well, let's stretch this. Th- it's it's a crazy sort of culture that sort of came up around this time of planning out our series as opposed to just like, will it be a success? Will we get a chance to make another one? Uh, it's very interesting in that regard. And I think they made these ones so quickly after each other because they already knew they had the audience and the other films did quite well. But also because they were dealing with lots of children, they had to pretty much, the minute one film wrapped, they had to like get into it straight away because otherwise you'd be like, uh, oops, we've left that a bit long and now Harry's like really tall, <laughs> which actually that never happened because Daniel Radcliffe isn't really that tall. So, <laughs> But you get like deeper voices and kids' faces look a bit different and then you'd go like, absolutely. Uh, oops, we've waited a year and now they look, you know, 15 and they're meant to be like 13 or they look 18 and they look too old. So, I mean, what a commitment though to, I mean, for the actors, but like for the studio, for everyone here to be like, yeah, we're making seven or eight films, you know. And we're locked in for about 10 years or more. But. <laughs> And we don't even know what the rest of the books are. Like, a lot of this is just sort of, like, taken on faith that you wouldn't expect a studio to have sort of, like, you know, the guts to Because then later on, the films kind of took a bit longer to make in between. And then because her books were getting longer, there was more of a delay in the books coming out. So the films kind of got spread out a bit more and they had to kind of wait a bit longer in between for some of them. But I think, I'm not sure if it's like the Game of Thrones thing that he'd kind of, JK had maybe told them what she was I think she kind of roughly told them kind of sort of what she was planning because before she wrote even the first book she planned and plotted the entire thing out so it was already kind of she kind of roughly knew what was happening so I think she kind of did that because I think she always throughout the series because she'd plotted it so well there's tiny details that you can go back and go oh that's something that happened in the second film but actually it becomes a massive thing later on and because they I think because she told the filmmakers about that they could add little things like that along the way that you could like you know she's actually nothing happened 
by accident in Harry Potter. It's all kind of that tiny thing that's happened that doesn't mean anything is actually really important to my entire plot. Mike, I have a question for you. Okay. As the unofficial co-host, yes. may I take a slight detour? Sure, where are we going? To the wizarding world of Harry Potter, of course. Because I pulled it up, and this is unofficial because you have to do it yourself. We're going to figure out what your house you're in right now, Mike. Oh, okay, here we go. Might as well. <laughs> We're getting close to the end, so let's do this. Start your sorting ceremony. Okay. The moon or the stars? Choose one. The moon. Uh, a troll has gone berserk in the headmaster's study. It is about to smash and crush and tear several irreplaceable items. In which order would you rescue these objects from the Trolls Club if you could? A nearly perfect cure for dragon pox. Would it be the first thing, the second thing, or the third thing you rescued? What a weird question. What are the other things? It doesn't say. <laughs> I guess the second thing, since I don't know what the other two things are, there could be one thing better. Oh, you, one thing you can reorganize. A student record's going back a thousand years. Okay. W- would that be. You can switch them, so. Oh, okay. So what's the third thing? Let's just say that's first. Okay, and then a mysterious handwritten book full of strange runes. Well, let's put the book second because that might have the cure in it, so you never know. And, you know, maybe the that list of students going back a thousand years is how we found the book in the first place, like by tracking it down. So that's my logic. Okay, so I have said it. Which road tempts you the most? A twisted leaf-strewn path, a wide, sunny, grassy lane... A narrow, dark, lantern-lit alley. A cobbled street lined with ancient buildings. Ooh, let's do the third one. So you chose the narrow, dark, lantern-lit alley. Yep. Is that Diagon Alley? Did I get that right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so so what uh, what animal you you riding with, Mike? A cat, a toad, or an owl? Hmm. The toad. I like those toads. They're cute. Perch them on my shoulder. So this is visual, so try to picture it. Do you want a harlequin toad? It's it's black and yellow. Do you want the dragon toad? It looks like a dragon. Do you want the natterjack toad? It's like a stubby blue one. The common toad? That just looks like a regular toad. Or the three-toed tree toad? It's like a purple toad. Uh, just do the regular one. Common toad. Okay. How would you like to be known to history? With the title of the great, the wise, the bold, or the good? I guess... Great, the wise, the bold, the good. I guess the bold? Which of the following would you most like to study? Mer people? Like mermaids and stuff? <laughs> uh-huh. No, I know who Aquaman is. Okay. Centaurs? Okay. Werewolves? Vampires? Goblins? Trolls? Or ghosts? I'm going with the mer people. How many more are there? What's going on here? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. You entered an enchanted garden. What would you be most curious to examine first? The fat red toadstool that appears to be talking to each other. The bubbling pool in the depths which something luminous is swirling. The silver-leafed tree bearing golden apples. Or a statue of an old wizard with a strangely twinkling eye. What the hell kind of... Um, <laughs> I guess, guess I want to hear what the toadstools are saying to each other. <laughs> <laughs> what are they talking about? I want to know. Mike, heads or tails? The easiest question you've had so far. Heads. The sorting hat is ready to make a decision. Are Ooh. you ready to find Ooh. out? Wait, yeah. Let's see if I could do his voice. Mm, yes. Mm, let's see now. Very interesting. All right. Let's I'm see. ready. Mike, you're a Hufflepuff. What? You're a puff. Sorry. Mm. Sorry. Gonna guys. own it. Gonna own it. <laughs> HP for life. 
I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Not at all. Dedication, <laughs> patience, loyalty. You probably know that some Huff- some of Hufflepuff's most renowned members include Naifadora Tonks and Cedric Diggory. But did you know that Hufflepuff's house ghost, the Fat Friar, still resents the fact that he was never made a cardinal? Or that Hufflepuff has produced the, fe- the fewest dark wizards of any house at Hogwarts? Because they're like... so chill. <laughs> <laughs> nice, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my my final question is: Is there any major omissions from this book? Like, is there anything in the book you were just like, "Oh my god!" Like, I can't believe that wasn't here, or like, how did they work around it, or is there anything that got changed around? Um, I don't think really, sort of major plot wise, there wasn't anything. But it's more just because I love the book so much that stuff like all the detail about the Marauders and stuff, I kind of wish it was in there. But I know that storytelling wise, for a film. That it doesn't really make sense to have it in there, but I think I haven't actually read the book quite a while. But yeah, there's not any like main plot points that aren't there, and I don't think there are any characters that are missing. I think it's just like a bit of bit more background detail here and there. But again, all right, the film's quite long, so you can't you know you can't fit everything in. But all the important essential stuff is in there, and that's why the last book they made into two movies so you can't fit everything but brian any final thoughts about harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban any questions for shawnee anything at all you want to remark that we didn't get to no i mean this was fun i was excited to see that uh the you know the direct that like this director did this film and then obviously went on to such amazing things and we'll get a different director for the next film so Mm. curious to see how that goes um i I don't know we're not at our plug section yet right yes we are i was just about to ask when are we going to get around to that next movie because i hinted earlier that the three of us will be back at some point as the both of you know because we we've discussed though shawnee you pointed out something recently and i'll talk about that too there are not many christmas high school films oh there really aren't it's dreadful a lot of lot of Halloween ones, but no Christmas, almost no Christmas high school films. Now, Shawnee, you found one on Netflix, so yes, that's apparently coming out this year. So I might I might cover that, but this Harry Potter, um, the Goblet of Fire, is considered the most high school Harry Potter film. You know, Hogwarts isn't equivalent to like an American high school, obviously, with the years. No, it's more like a boarding school. This Harry Potter, um, Goblet of Fire, which we will be covering again, we're coming back to do it for our Christmas special on High School Slumber Party. And the reason, again, too, like, there's a lot in the film, and I have, I'm crazy because I thought I didn't see it, but I have seen it. <laughs> I don't know which one I haven't seen in the Harry Potter world. I might have seen them all. You get a nice little winter dance. I don't remember what it's called. The Yule Ball. The Yule Ball. Because it always takes place on Christmas, either Eve or night. I'm not, never remember which one, but it's always like at Christmas time. So you get all the snow and all the magic and all the Christmas. And And apparently it's the one that focuses the most on Harry's like, you know, what the equivalent of a high school movie would be in the Harry Potter world. And it's Christmassy, wintry, like they, they have to get dates for the dance, the Yule Bowl and stuff. So I'm really excited. I'm excited. I'm excited to cover it. Because again, I've seen most of these movies in the peripheral and I'm excited to really focus on the Goblet of Fire. But that's next month. Very nice. Can't wait for that. Uh, Shawnee, any final words you'd like to mention about The Prisoner of Azkaban that you didn't get to uh, talk about earlier? Speak now or forever hold your peace. If I hold my Harry Potter piece, oh no, I'll never, I'll never get to talk about Harry Potter ever again. <laughs> no, I think, I think we kind of covered all the main bits. Yeah, you definitely did a great job answering all my questions. Thank you very much for that. 
I have a bit more clarity on the universe now. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I'll uh, give my expertise where I can. But um, I mean, I could just talk about Harry Potter forever. So, um, you know, <laughs> got to get all my knowledge out somewhere and share it around. But this one's still probably one of my favorite Harry Potter movies, I think, because I always loved the book so much. I think the book is probably still my favorite Harry Potter book because it's before Harry gets all really angsty because some of the later books <laughs> you kind of need to take a little bit of a break in between a lot going on and harry's just he gets like oh my god it just gets a bit like okay please stop having an existential teenage boy crisis because it's just it's a little bit much and uh, that's what i'm looking forward to <laughs> yeah that's yes. more of brian's cup of tea, <laughs> But definitely in number four, yeah, everyone gets a bit more like awkward because now they're like 14 and now they're like, oh, now I've got to get dates. And now we're noticing girls and like it's all that kind of awkwardness of, you know, heading into puberty. But also they are magical and it's like magic that, puberty. That doesn't that doesn't make it any easier. There's still just a bunch of complete awkward dorks who have to like, you know, go to a dance. So it's, you know. Ugh. Right up that my one's alley. Fun, fun, awkward teenage moments. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for joining me tonight to talk about Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And that's it. That's going to do it for another magical episode of Third Time's a Charm. Gotta thank Brian and Shawnee for stopping by. Be sure to catch Brian's show, High School Slumber Party, and PSI Love Hoffman with his Hoff bro, the foodie films man himself, Kyle. And I know for sure you can hear Shawnee on a couple of Brian's episodes as well. I mentioned Teen Witch. Go for it. Check that one out. For all things Cage Club, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Find this show where you find all the other podcasts online just about everywhere. Go to iTunes where you can rate, review, and subscribe. Leave one of those reviews. I don't think I have a review yet. Let's see. What else? Oh, Fridays are for fun. Check out every Friday, alternating Fridays. Joey and myself are doing the Tom Tom Club. We are alternating between Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise movies. We are doing Hanks for the Memories and Cruise Club, where we alternate through the works of Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks. Tom Cruise uh, makes amazing movies so far, maybe one or two that, like, not even that they're bad. They're just, you know, not up to par with the rest of his films. And Tom Hanks, you know, it was a little rough there for a while. We're still having a fun time doing the show early on with with the Hanks, but now we've really turned a corner. We're starting to get into some of the cream of the crop, the creme de la creme. La creme. Yeah, go check us out. Fridays are for fun. That also happens to be the same day that High School Slumber Party comes out. So, I mean, it's just like an overindulgence of riches over here. But go to cageclub.me and check out, you know, all 26 or so shows that we got going on on the network. I'm a co-founder. I don't even know what the hell's going on over there sometimes. I mean, it's magic. That's all I can say. Hey, well, that'll do it for this episode of Third Time's a Charm. Hey, it's almost the end of the year. I got a big Christmas December episode coming up so stay tuned for that and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Three That's a magic number Three yes, it is. It's the magic number Three, Three may stop at me and that's a magic number What does it all mean?